Blog Talk Radio. We have an update to an investigation we've been following out of Kentucky. 16-year-old Janiah McMillan was found dead at a juvenile detention center earlier this month after being left alone in a cell overnight. CBS News has learned that during booking, a staffer used martial arts moves on the teenager when she refused to take her sweatshirt off. After finding McMillan unresponsive in her cell, detention center employees waited 11 minutes before attempting CPR. This is Miss Winnie at Lincoln Village. Yes. Here is unresponsive. She is cold and she's stiff. There's no respirations, no vital signs. Okay, is CPR in progress? No, it's not. Okay, are you going to attempt CPR? Yes. Okay, do you have an age on the patient? They want us to start CPR. I'm sorry. Do you have an age on the patient? No, I can get it. No, that's fine. Um, do y'all know? Do y'all have a CPR protocol, or do y'all need it? I, 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 knew, I, I can find out. I don't know. The cause of McMillan's death is under investigation. The county prosecutor says police are not pursuing any criminal charges. There have also been multiple calls for officials to release video from inside the detention center both from McMillan's cell and during the booking. But the detention center has yet to make any surveillance video public. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight, we continue... Voices from behind the wall. Tonight we deal with juveniles and the youngsters across this nation. We listen to their voice tonight. This is AJC Radio. We take off right now. There you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, William Williams, and our new addition to the team. We're happy to have Samson Riddle. And I'll tell you what, we're going to take off tonight, folks. This conversation is a good one. And uh, welcome, uh, welcome to all of our hosts tonight as we get ready for a discussion. Not always comfortable, but our youngsters, their voices behind the wall, juveniles as young as 12 years old. Uh, I'll tell you what we got a problem in this nation. We're going to deal with that tonight and the abuse going on behind the wall of detention centers and juvenile detention centers all across this nation. And, uh, Dennis, I'll come to you first as we get into this conversation. Uh, this is a big deal. Uh, you being a father, of course. Uh, we got a lot of parents out here that have to, be, have to hear what's going on behind that wall, what's happening. A lot of them, again, again are given a false sense of security that things are just fine, and in reality, just as in the adult prisons, the men's prisons, the women's prisons, we have a, a, a serious, a very serious problem. Your thoughts as we get ready for this one? And that's true, and these are correctional facilities for these younger kids. I mean, again, it's this mentality that if you've done something wrong, you're considered an animal. Uh, you don't have the rights. Uh, you, you don't deserve anything good. And, of course, and then, of course, we have that power uh, you know, that, that power ment mentality uh, where you put someone in position of trust and you give them a little power instead of using it 
to do good. They use it to, uh, uh, you know, force their power upon people. So we have to get it out there to let people understand that not only in our prisons, but in our correctional centers where children are, uh, they're, they're feeling the benefits of that uh, situation also. No, absolutely right. And we're going we're gonna to address that. Joining us tonight, Akeem Browder. He is the brother of Khalif Browder, uh, the, the young man that ended up committing suicide after three years at Rikers Island uh, without being charged with the crime. Ultimately, in fear of going back to Rikers, took his own life. You're going to hear a lot about him tonight. Uh, we're very happy to have him. And also joining us here at about uh, 645, 845 on East Coast, uh, uh, Donna Marie Riley. She's advocate and board of directors for the Khalif Browder Foundation. Uh, she's going to be joining us as well. Samson, your thoughts as we get into this topic, uh, definitely an issue that, that has to be addressed. Absolutely. And, I mean, as, as a father, I mean, I've got five kids, and I wouldn't imagine or want any of them to go behind bars for any reason whatsoever. But to he- hear and read and just to, to see these different articles about the way these children are being treated behind the wall, I mean, these are kids. These are kids. These are not – and they're being put in very grown-up situations, being treated, you know, like Dennis said. They're being treated like animals, like less – like some secondhand citizen, and that's just not the case. We need to start early. If they if they do something wrong, fine, but use it as a way to correct the action and get them back as a functioning member of society. Don't use it as a way to abuse, mistreat, and harm these kids. No, absolutely right. Uh, what are your thoughts? I I agree absolutely. You know, when the child is there and they've done something, they made a mistake. Uh, you know, they still have lot of life to live to you know course correct and so you have opportunity there to to reach out to teach uh to help you know steer steer them back on path but you know that's not happening that's not happening they they've got them in that system they keep them in the system and then they're abusing them while they're there it's sad and so you know again they don't have a voice and this is the opportunity for us to you know tell the tale what's going on behind the walls with them yeah, and we have so much information to cover. This may end up turning into a part two. We'll see how the show develops out tonight. Uh, dealing with some Florida prisons, juvenile justice. Uh, title of this story, Dark Secrets of Florida Juvenile Justice. Honey bun hits illicit sex and cover-ups at a juvenile facility. Listen to that very carefully. And, and uh, even to the point where a young man was killed, 17 years, 17 years of age, and he was. it was all orchestrated by the correctional officers who bribed kids to kill this young boy or to fight him and to hurt him for a honey bun. Uh, not, so this kid's life was worth 99 cents, if that's the price of a honey bun. Uh, this is what guards were doing, basically, to, to get these kids to fight and to pounce on other children. Uh, we're going to get into deep into that story tonight as well. Folks, this, this aims to be a good one. Uh, and, I, and by no means, when I say a good one, information that has to go out to the listeners across this nation uh, who, are, who are dealing with these issues. Cliff, your thoughts on this stuff with, the, with these youngsters, these kids, uh, 17 years old, 16 years old, uh, juvenile, young, young ladies in juvenile correctional facilities being raped by guard, children being raped by correctional officers in these juvenile detentions. Your thoughts on it? Well, the juvenile system is supposed to be a system that is there to, like Samson said, that is trying to rehabilitate and change the uh, life path of these kids before they get into adulthood. That's why, you know, typically when a, a juvenile goes to jail, they're released when they come of age. It's supposed to be 
to change their mindset, give them direction, some type of mentoring, because the juvenile mind is not mature. So as it's, as it's growing, as it's maturing, you need people who are there to, to help them uh, and teach them why, you know, the decision that they made was wrong and, and teach them the type of repercussions that those decisions make. But to have, you know, what I, I call these, these are just, uh, you know, predators, these, uh, some of the guards and not all of them. I mean, some are there to actually, you know, help out the kids, but a lot of them, like you talk about this guard that, you know, they had basically a fight club ring going on and, and telling kids jump another kid and they'll pay them in honey buns. Uh, these are the type of things that, you know, you're, what you have to look at is they are, they are breeding a hitman that you're saying, I will reward you for, for harming somebody. I'll reward you for injuring somebody. I'll reward you for killing somebody. That is not what these kids are supposed to get. So I'm, my take is that, you know, it starts at the, at the top of the administration that, you know, from the, uh, from the person that's running that facility, they have to build a culture. They have to ensure that they uh, push discipline all the way down the hill and that the inmates and, and the other members of the staff see that you will be, um, you know, there, there's some retribution for you abusing the inmates, abusing these children, and they should expose them. I think they should be publicly exposed. You mistreat a child just like you have the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the predator list where a person has to, has to basically register, say, hey, I'm on, the, I'm on the sexual predator list. If you prey on a child that is behind bars and you're, in a, per, you're a person of authority, you should be put on a register that this person should never work in law enforcement again because these are still our children. Yeah, they made mistakes, and they've been put in there for a reason for something that they've done that may have been stupid, may have been uh, not thought out, but that does not mean that you prey on these children. They're still our children, our society, our future, we have to do better than we are. And we're going to be sharing a story tonight by Carol Marvin Miller and Audra D. Burke. Uh, Burke, excuse me, uh, wrote an article. They weren't, they weren't faking 12 young detainees who died while under Florida's care as young as 12 years old. We're going to read their stories tonight. Folks, call your neighbors, your friends, whoever you can. Get your youngsters to listen to this show and the parents that are responsible for these kids, dial in to 646-200-0628. That's 646-200-0628. On the other side of the break, we deal with juvenile. We listen to their voices from behind the wall. This is Agency Radio. We'll be right back. Do you have a big brother? Well, I have a big brother, and I'm pretty sure that you and I experienced some of the same things with a big brother. Big brothers will always be big brothers, right? I'm sure you'll agree. Well, my brother gets up in the morning. He takes a shower, heads to work, and at some point during the day, he's going to exercise and get that workout, as we all do. And, of course, depending on what's going on, he's going to sit down for two or three meals during the course of his day. And also, depending on what else is going on, he'll probably get caught up on current events and maybe take a few moments to turn a page in a book. How about your big brother? Some of the same stuff, right? 
Oh, did I mention that my big brother does all of that stuff? But he actually has to have permission a lot of times before he can do it. You see, my big brother was wrongfully convicted of a crime that he did not commit. That's right. That may sound shocking, huh? He's in prison. Wrongful convictions impact families in ways you cannot begin to imagine. But I've decided that I'm going to do something about it. And I extend an invitation to you to come on board and join me in this fight. You see, I'm helping to be a voice for my big brother and others who have been wrongfully convicted. We'd like you to take a few moments today and call a just cause where we fight for justice. You can call us toll free at 1-855-529-4252. That's 1-855-529-4252. Join with us as we fight for justice and for all big brothers across the land. I don't have to tell you about the challenges we face every day. That would be like preaching to the choir. Yeah. Today you have a chance to face the challenge of your risk for diabetes. My dad had diabetes and one in four U.S. adults are at risk, myself included. If you're older than 45 or African American, that risk increases. So here's a chance to ask yourself, what can I do? Talk to your doctor about getting screened and know what your options are. Learn more at AskScreenKnow.com. When does it stop being partly cloudy and start being partly sunny? Why is the word abbreviation so long? Are English muffins just muffins in England? Why is it called a washing line and not a drying line? Do fish get thirsty? If ghosts can walk through doors, why don't they fall through floors? Do you yawn when you sleep? If prunes are dried plums, how do they make prune juice? Why do doctors leave the room when you change? They're going to see you naked anyway. Do board chefs wear hairnets? How much deeper would the ocean be if all the sponges were taken out? Do you believe someone who says they're a chronic liar? Why is sandwich bread square and sandwich meat round? Life's full of hard questions. Ask one more. You might just save a life. I'm 16, I can't drive at night. Because I'm 16, I can't work past 10 o'clock on a school night. Because I'm 16, I can't get a cell phone contract without my parents. Because I'm 16, I can't get a flu shot without my mother's consent. At 16, I'm not old enough to watch an R-rated movie alone. Because I'm 16, I can't buy a lottery ticket. I can't vote. I can't drink. I can't smoke. I can't join the military. Because I'm 16, I can't sit on a jury, but I can be tried as an adult. I can get a lifetime criminal record. If I get arrested, my parents don't have to be notified. 
Because I'm 16, my mother had to sign this consent form so that I could participate in this video. But I can go to an adult prison. But I can go to Rikers Island. But I can be sent to Attica. My name is Michael Corriero. I was a judge for 28 years in the criminal courts of the state of New York. New York is one of only two states in the entire nation that it automatically tries children as young as 16 as adults. We need to change that. Last week, my father sent me to my room. Next week, a judge could sentence me to an adult prison. We need to judge children as children. It's time to raise the age of criminal responsibility in New York. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio. And uh, as we said earlier, before the break, we're dealing with juvenile voices from behind the wall. We listen to the juvenile youngsters behind the wall and what their voices are saying now. Uh, these stories that you're going to hear tonight are horrific. Uh, we will be highlighting Khalif Browder, a young man that uh, ended his life uh, as a result of uh, – Really, the system doing him a bad job. He was a youngster. They they sent him to Rikers Island. Should have never been sent there, uh, which is the jail system in New York. Uh, some issues there uh, mentally, and I believe there was one area where they actually hog tied Khalif uh, and and damaged him and and uh, really hurt him and and. As a youngster seeing these things and to never be charged with the crime and you sat in a that type of environment for three years uh, and suffered at the hand of a, of, a, of a justice system that, as I say all the really all the time, that has fallen off the track completely. Uh, we have some issues in this nation. Thus, the voices from behind the wall. We will continue to address these issues uh, in regards to this. We're going to give you an insight right now to the Khalif Browder uh, story. And uh, we're going to come back after this clip. Let's see what it is. We turn now to another tragic story about a young man who learned the hard way about the troubles plaguing America's criminal justice system. Khalif Browner was arrested at 16, never convicted of a crime, never had a trial, but spent more than three years in one of the most violent jails in the country. Tonight, here is Khalif in his own words. You're supposed, you're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty, but the way the system is, is you're guilty till proven innocent. Little did we know, Khalif Browder was already dying inside the day we met him. At the easy age of 22, he'd already learned more about America's criminal justice system and endured more than any soul should ever have to. That's Khalif there on the floor inside Rikers Island, New York City's most notorious jail beaten by a gang of fellow inmates all caught on camera. At the age of 16, he was arrested and sent here for allegedly stealing a backpack. It was like, how long earth? We were beaten, stomped by the, by the correction officers. They were just beating on me. They were just beating on me. Beatings captured on surveillance video obtained by the New Yorker magazine, which first brought Khalif's story to light. In this video, we see him being escorted to the prison shower. He appears to speak to the guard who in seconds is seen slamming him into a wall and then to the ground. And I cry myself to sleep because it's like, I want to go home, and it's like, they're not letting me go home. To go home, Khalif's mother, 
Benita Bravo needed to post bail of $3,000, money she said she just didn't have. What was your reaction when you heard that your 16-year-old boy was being sent to Rikers Island? My heart dropped. You know, I had heard so many horror stories about Rikers, and all I could picture was him getting hurt in there. Court records show Khalif had attempted suicide at least six times, spent 1,110 days behind bars, more than 800 of those in solitary confinement. His court date postponed more than 30 times. He endured all this having never been given a trial, never convicted of a crime. Finally, in June of 2013, all charges against Khalif were dismissed. But his experience exposed the troubled criminal justice system and the brutality of life behind bars. I think at some point, almost a reckless disregard by the prosecutors in this case. They didn't care, Byron. They saw his file. They saw that he was in jail. And he'd probably take a plea. And they were hoping he'd take a plea. The judge told me that if I plead guilty, I would release from jail that same day. But I didn't do it. You're not going to make me say I did something just so I could go home. When we first met him November of last year, he was doing better, he said. Earned his GED started classes at Bronx Community College, pulling a 3.56 GPA. But the psychological trauma from jail had taken its toll. And when he first came home, he would just walk the four corners of the driveway. You hear animals do that have been confined to a space. Yes, he did it. And I had to watch my baby go through all of that. In the last year, Khalif grew depressed, deeply paranoid. You know, deep down, I'm a mess. I feel like I'm a grown old man. And then two Saturdays ago, two years after his release from jail, Khalif Browder hanged himself with an air conditioner cord in his home in the Bronx. He was 22. I didn't know what to do. I, can you imagine finding your son and he's hanging with his head back? Khalif's death made national news and messages of outrage mixed with sympathy flooded social media. John Legend wrote in an op-ed that New York failed Khalif. Lena Dunham Instagrammed his photo and called for reform. Our interview with Khalif went viral on Facebook. What we now know is that Khalif was due in court to face new charges of disorderly conduct the week he took his own life. His family said he was scared to go back into jail. By now, the beatings he endured in Rikers have been seen millions of times online. What did Rikers do to your son? It destroyed him. It destroyed him mentally. Has anyone apologized to you from Rikers? No. From the prosecutor's office? No. What do you hope happens now? I want them to be responsible, to admit that it was their fault that my son is dead. He spent three years in, in hell. It sounds like you're in that hell now. I will be in hell until the day I die because I found my son hanging. If your child is murdered, you you have a, an immediate anger towards that person and you want that person found, you know, and, and pay for what they did to your child. It's not one person, it's a whole system that destroyed my son. And I want them all to pay. I deeply wish we hadn't lost him, but he did not die in vain. New York did away with solitary confinement for 16 and 17-year-olds. Plans were announced to fix crowded dockets in courts to ensure the right to a speedy trial. There are also calls for change to the cash bail system. Currently, only 12% of defendants in New York City make bail. We're in a quest for justice right now, Byron. 
Paul Prestia, who helped Khalif file his civil suit against the city, says it's not enough. The reform's are all nice and well, but admit you did something wrong here, because that was always Khalif's message. How many young men have to go through this? 99% of the critics will talk all that junk. I promise you, they wouldn't have the courage to do the job that the correction officers do. Bernie Carrick knows the system from both sides. The former chief of the New York City Police Department, he also ran Rikers Island for years. And as a convicted felon, he spent time in solitary confinement. As someone that spent 60 days inside solitary confinement, it creates paranoia. It makes you insane. But he cautions the city against bowing to public pressure and implementing changes, he says, that could put Rikers correction officers and inmates in danger. If you take solitary confinement away from the correction officials, you're going to see a major, major increase in violence. These are kids that come from gangs. These are kids that ran the streets. I think is very dangerous. So what would you do? What, what were I your think, suggestions to improve think, Rikers Island? I think you keep that. You charge the staff that violate the law, and they're locked up. It's not hard to imagine the life he might have led if he'd made it. I have the medal hanging on my bed. You see it in the remnants of the life and the people he left behind, like Elizabeth Pyams, program director at Bronx Community College, who worked closely with Khalif. She says she's working on getting Khalif his associate degree posthumously. It's real. What do you want the world to remember of your son? To remember him for the stand-up person that he was. He was a good person. The kind of person who turned down a plea bargain on principle, whose story may help save others like him. If I would have just been guilty, then my story would have never been heard. Nobody would have took the time to listen to me. I'd have been just another criminal. Oh, there you have it. Khalif Browder, a tragedy that could have been easily avoided. And to the point, you're talking about putting this young man in Rikers Island for a suspicion of stealing a backpack. I don't even know what backpacks go for these days, 10, 12 bucks. And you set this young man in Rikers for three years. And if you, they show, as, as Byron, uh, and I thanks to Byron Pitts on that report from ABC at that time, uh, doing the story on Khalif Browder. Uh, tragic. This man did not have to die. And he said, I feel like an old man because of what he endured needlessly. He didn't even have to go through that. And then you want to come back and say the state dropped all the charges? After three years. Then they want to pass some legislation to say we're going to do some things to clear the docket to speed up speedy trial. You far exceeded speedy. At a three year. You know why you couldn't even use speedy there? He was never charged with the crime. What kind of nonsense is that? And that's the thing, Mont. You know. They're talking these things, oh, legislature about uh, speeding up the docket, uh, legislature about uh, we need, uh, you know, mental health 
programs for those who have been incarcerated, which I'm, I'm all for. I believe that's a, a, a very good legislature that, they, that they're getting implemented. But I think one of the main things that is a serious, serious issue is the fact that, that you alluded to that they accused him. And the key word accused, he, he wasn't convicted of anything. He's being accused of stealing a backpack, which is a, you know, a, a, a petty, petty misdemeanor at best. How is it that you say that this this kid needs a three thousand dollar bond for stealing a backpack if indeed they had caught him red, red and doing it? A 15 year old should be released to the uh, to basically the supervision and the responsibility of their parent. You don't need bail for a 15-year-old kid for a misdemeanor of, oh, we caught you shoplifting. So you're telling me that if a kid goes to the store and say, I stole a candy bar and a bottle of soda, you're going to lock him up in Rikers Island and give him $3,000 bail for a petty offense that should have been a, a citation for, for shoplifting and you're going to go home and your parents are going to deal with you and they'll, they'll meet out your punishment because that's all that is needed. You lock up a kid for three years, say your, the family can't have you back unless they come up with $3,000, which is totally, totally ridiculous. That is where the legislature needs to come in and say Rikers Island, judges, prosecutors, whoever – we need to do some uh, some reformation on the bail system because how does a judge how does a judge get a request from the DA's office? We this kid is being charged for petty theft of a backpack. A backpack. We want three thousand dollars bail. How does a judge sign off on that? How about no uh, prosecutor, no bail. His mother's right here, ma'am. Are you willing to take him home? Will you make sure he doesn't do this until he comes back to my courtroom? You got 90 days. If you, if you do something else uh, before that time, you're going to be in trouble. But send him to his mother. He's 15 years old. Instead, now we have a, a young man who took his own life. And it all started because you basically kidnapped him from his family and said, your ransom is $3,000. We know that you can't pay it, but the state will pay us for holding him uh, captive for three years for a backpack. Well, and and uh, uh, Khalif Browder, his, his mother since has passed away as well, uh, which I believe, uh, honestly, I would believe that from a broken heart of losing her son, finding him. Uh, you got to go there, ladies and gentlemen, to that situation. Uh, and as I remember correctly, she said she heard a thumping on the side of the house went outside to investigate, and her, it was her son's body hitting the side of the house. She said she would never get that sound uh, out of her head, and that was one of those things that uh, you, it's, it's as tragic as it gets. Samson, your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm all with, uh, with Cliff on this, and I was sitting here reading about it and just the disparity that exists in the bail system there. I mean, they said uh, in the article, that 70% of the people that are in the rural and urban counties and stuff in New York state cannot afford the bail that's set for them um, at their hearings. I mean, and it's absolutely ridiculous. It's, it is becoming modern slavery. It's a ransom system, as he duly pointed out. And I just, I want to echo that in the fact that it just, 
it's completely unjust to sit there and put this on their on their families, and then we're going to try and say, you know, oh, what, why aren't parents more involved, or why aren't this, and why aren't that? But it's like, give the parents a chance to be involved. Let them let them handle business. I know whenever I was growing up, if I would have done something like that, it's going right back to mama. Yes, Your Honor, I'm going to take care of this, and it's not going back out there. It's going to be handled at the house. No, absolutely right, and uh, this is tragic. It's three years for a youngster. It's ridiculous. Uh, and my understanding, he was in solitary confinement some of that time. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's really troubling that uh, our system is so out of control, the criminal justice system of this nation is so out of control that its effect, its impact has now reached to the hearts and lives of children. Uh, I want to share this story with you. We talked about it earlier. Uh, this is about Carol Marvin Miller and Audra D. Birch uh, from the Miami Herald. It states here, and I'll read this to you as the, as the story was written. It said, the boys had just returned to Module 9 of the Miami Juvenile Lockup from the dining hall when one of them hit Elrod Revolti, high and hard. More of the boys jumped in, punching and slamming him over and over and then pile-driving his 135-pound body. One called it a town stomp and demonstrated to detectives by jumping on the floor with both feet. Elrod, 17, fought back gamely. I swung a punch, said the youth who struck him with the first blow. I hit him. He swung two punches. He hit me. I swung one punch, and then I grabbed his shirt and hit him again. Then I slammed him on his head, and I hit him. All my friends, they start jumping over the chairs while Elrod was on the floor, and they went to stomping on him. And this is something that happened, again, at the, at the Miami Juvenile Lockup uh, in Florida. Uh, and my understanding here of this story, and I'm going to continue here, uh, and then we'll get into, the, uh, get into some comments on this. When Elrod rose from the 68-second thrashing, every kick, and punch meted out in front of a surveillance camera. He was too angry to know his own hurt. He said all he wanted was to kill the boys who had brutalized him. 30 hours later, Elrod was the one dead, the result of internal bleeding from that mauling, which two of the youth said was instigated by a detention officer. Elrod Revolte's death evokes many of the dark secrets of Florida's troubled juvenile justice system, including incompetent supervision, questionable health care, willfully blind internal investigations, uh, and spasms of staff-induced violence, and sometimes bought for the price of a pastry. The lack of accountability has left children in peril, unfit employees in charge, and parents frustrated, frightened, and sometimes grieving. They treated my child worse than a dog, said Enoch Revolte, Elrod's father. My child wasn't a dog. My son deserves justice. He didn't get it. No one was held to account. Not the dozen-plus boys who ambushed Elrod. Not the detention officer identified by a detainee as ordering up the attack because Elrod had mouthed off minutes earlier. Not the nurses who waited a day to get Elrod to the hospital as he oozed blood internally. Not the administrators who failed, despite repeated warnings to supply juvenile lockups with modern surveillance equipment. Spurred by the death of Elrod Revolte on August 31st, 2015, at least the 12th questionable juvenile detainee death since 2000, the Miami Herald embarked on a sweeping investigation of juvenile justice in Florida. But this was something that 
without question could have easily been avoided. Uh, Samson, your thoughts? I just think it's uh, absolutely disgusting, and, and it, it's just, it's an, it shows an entire system of neglect. It really does. Like these, these youngsters are put in there behind the walls, and everyone around them, from I, I can imagine from their perspective, is against them. Both the officers, the, the quote-unquote medical staff, even the, the, the detainees that are there with them. Everybody's against them, and it's like... They, all they're doing is reaching out for help. That's all they really need is someone that truly would care enough about this young person, this young individual, these people there that just to reach out and give them a hand and help them to get back to where they need to be. No, absolutely right. And uh, again, Khalif Browder faced the same trauma. The officers watched. He said the officers were kicking him, beating him. Uh, right now we're honored tonight, uh, and we are very, very grateful uh, to have Akeem Browder uh, he is the brother uh, of Khalif Browder, and we are so uh, honored to have him joining our show to hear his thoughts and his perception uh, of these things. Uh, Akeem, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Thank you, Akeem, so much for taking time out of your schedule. Uh, very, very sorry about your loss. Uh, what happened there with your brother? I'm going to let you speak to that. Whatever you're comfortable in sharing with this audience, uh, we welcome it. And as we get into this discussion uh, go ahead and introduce yourself. I know you're the founder and executive director of the Khalif Browder Foundation, uh, and we want to hear from you of what you're doing since this tragedy, what your thoughts are. Uh, we believe it's an outrage. It's a senseless death that did not have to happen, and I believe uh, the criminal justice system is solely responsible for the death of your brother without question. Uh, let me hear from you, uh, Akeem, and, and our listeners hear from you now. Thank you. Thank you for at least uh, actually one. I just want to thank um, keeping Khalif uh, alive isn't uh, isn't as as far as his uh, what he stood for and um, the fact that just a, a kid, no person should go through this, let alone a child growing up and not even having a chance to have um, a, a proper upbringing. You know, um, which is being in your in your family and uh, growing up in your community where people uh, who know you and look out for you and uh, have that opportunity to, like, just grow with your school and your family. Uh, being, that being taken away from uh, a child is, is something that is outraged when it happens to uh, a not-so-poor community or, uh, if I want to say, a, a privileged community. <clears throat> and so uh, when it happens to our community, it's more than just a conversation that needs to happen. It's not enough to, uh, or in my, at least in my opinion, uh, it's not enough to just do a talk. <clears throat> action has to follow. Uh, sure. With that, also the, the uh, did you say? No, I, you there? I was I was agreeing with you, Kim. I said sure, absolutely. Go ahead. Yeah, sorry about that. I and I mean, so I used to say actually uh, that the collateral damage, the collateral damage to the community, but also to my immediate family, um, is is something to take care, of, like to to really conjure up the thought and communication about that as well, though. But um, it's, I, I used to say collateral damage um, because it's a it's a lateral part of what happened to Khalif. But um, my mom, uh, it was it's not really collateral. When, it, when I was just explained yesterday, actually, um, that when I when I said the word collateral damage, the person uh, that I was speaking to said it's an intentional um, damage. <clears throat> they know that by taking a child uh, away from its, his or her parents um, is going to drive that mother or that family um, 
to to death. I mean, my mom, she literally uh, died from a heart attack uh, that wasn't just one uh, series of heart attacks. It wasn't heart, one heart attack that uh, took her life, but it was uh, 11 heart attacks within that um, period of time that I uh, and my family decided to take her off of life support. Um, but that, that, that says a lot to what happens to our black and brown community when uh, you take someone and, and take them against their will, even though you're innocent until proven guilty. Um, that, that concept is something to really do more than, like I said, talk about, but to think of how do we do it better? What can we change to make uh, society realize that it's not the immediate person that you're locking up, but you're locking up the community of people, a community that cared for Khalif, a, co- a community that knew Khalif, and a community ca- that could have stood the chance to actually grow from whatever Khalif um, wanted to be, just like your kids or our kids, whether they're black or white. But that, that presumption of, uh, of guilt isn't afforded to us, and so we, we just get the brunt end of it. So I, I know I'm speaking a lot. But um, if there's anything that you want to stop me from, or there's a lot uh, to it uh, than just a kid that just allegedly took a a backpack and was held in jail for three years. You don't just sit in jail. It's not like time just goes quicker when you're in jail and you're just sitting there waiting for your time. No, Akeem, you're fine. No, you're definitely not talking too much. You have a lot to say. We want to hear what you have to say. So um, we are... And again, you talked about at the beginning uh, to, to keep the Leafs' uh, voice alive. That's the series we've started, Voices from Behind the Wall. Uh, we to, uh, to do just that. Um, and so I'll tell you right now, uh, we, want to, we, we, we want you to be his voice. We'll be his voice as an advocacy organization as we speak to the injustice suffered by you and by Khalif and by your family. So uh, please don't apologize for, for sharing your perception of these things. We need to hear that. Our listeners need to hear that. Oh, so continue if you, if you, if you can. No, I appreciate uh, just even hearing that part because, uh, you know, actually one thing I think our families really need, um, and please stop me if there's any, like, uh, tr- trouble in my background uh, in, or noise in the background or if you just can't hear me good, but um, our families need a lot more than, um, what do you call it, just to talk and sound like, because, you know, there, there's, there's presumption that, you know, you're just a family that, that's crying over something. And not to say crying is a bad thing, but um, we are intelligent beings. My mother, my mother advocated strong after Khalif passed um, that we need criminal justice reform. So she's not just a crying, woeful mother. You know what I'm saying? Like the difference between a senator or a politician um, – taking our stories and presenting it for us. Yeah, they can give us a platform so that we can be heard, but then don't just let us talk about like the woes that we are going through. No, give us that platform that gives us the strength to say, here's what our communities need after, after like the aftermath. No, sure. we don't want to just cry. We don't want to just cry and say, oh my God, my poor son, because you have, you have legislative, uh, let it, the legislative body that uses that to push their agenda, which is like, yeah, we have new laws that have to happen that should change because our communities just keep on becoming the reflection of what they believe we should have. But no, let us, give us a chance to use our voice to not only cry and, wo- and speak out to the public to get the public uh, activated, but give us the chance to say, wait a minute, I'm, a, I'm also not just a brother of Khalif, but I'm also an advocate. 
and I'm an intelligent person as well. Look at me as a human being because you didn't give my brother that chance. Give me the voice because you didn't give my brother that chance or my family members. And so um, that, 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 that's something that I think is more powerful than giving us a platform just so that we can cry uh, and say what happened to our brothers. So I appreciate the opportunity that, like, I'm speaking uh, on, your, on your show. Um, and I think, I think it's something like when we're talking about criminal justice reform, uh, there's something that I, I started in New York, um, not criminal justice reform, but I, I wrote up the, um, the legislation uh, that got passed in the assembly, which is uh, speedy trial, which I named after my brother, Khalif, uh, Khalif's law. And Khalif's law is actually um, at least tackled a different aspect before bail. Bail is sure. uh, all that everyone is really speaking about. However, bail is one, one culprit um, of the bigger scheme, the bigger, the bigger picture. Bail is, is just something that um, holds our families in jail, uh, but doesn't release the, the, doesn't give us the release that we need when it comes to um, innocent until proven guilty. That aspect of innocence isn't, isn't through bail. No, it's actually through um, giving us our evidence so that we can say, listen, I didn't actually take this backpack and here's what you have against me, weighing out what I have to prove myself as, in, uh, as innocent. And so, like, my innocence has to be saved, not just giving me bail. Bail just takes me out of the jail cell, but you bring me back and forth to court, putting me back at risk every time I have to go to court. Because, like, if I'm a grown man and I have a job and I have to go to court three times a month or two times a month, I'm losing my job. Right. Because that court is not going to – it's just banking on the fact that I'm going to get tired of going back and forth to court. They're going to keep on threatening me, oh, we got you on video, or we got the actual book bag, or we have a, a testimony from someone that says they've seen a black person steal their brother's book bag. Well, that's the only evidence? Well, I got something to prove. I got something more than that. I actually have my innocence um, that I can prove right here and now. So we need something that's going to make the, the, the trial process or the court process, period, um, quicker instead of just sitting there wasting your life away or even fighting for your life. That's a good point, uh, Akeem. That's a very good point. And I think I agree with you. Uh, the issue is, and another issue, like you said, uh, to change the bail laws, why don't you change the reason you're picking these kids up in the first place? That nobody Absolutely. wants to do that issue. So, well, let's just make bail available. No, quit picking up kids for needless things because that'll cut down on overcrowding in these jails where you have to put a youngster in Rikers, uh, the adult, you know, with adults because you so abuse your discretion as officers, not all, but a number of them, to just arrest people. Uh, profile African-Americans, minorities. We know that's an issue. The stop and frisk was an issue in New York. Uh, we have a lot of issues here, uh, and I agree with you. Uh, Akeem, we're going to take a quick break. I'd like to come back if you can. If you got, you got a few more minutes to spend with us? Of course, I do, I do. Okay, and we, we're waiting right now. Hopefully, we're going to have Donna Marie Riley. I believe you know her. She's advocate and board of directors for the Khalif Browder Foundation. Yep. Uh, we're hopefully going to be bringing her. Uh, we're wait, trying to get a hold of her now, uh, but we're going to we're going to talk a little bit more. I want to talk more about your foundation. Uh, what response are you getting in the community where you're there? Has has there been an outcry? I've said this before. I'll say it again. 
we have to let our voices be heard in a very dramatic way, in a very strong way. We can't march for three days and go back and have a barbecue. But these yes, marches, thank you. Right? We're going to deal with that. I'm going to get your thoughts on that, Akeem, on the other side of this break. This is AJC Radio, Voices from Behind the Wall, Juvenile Injustice in America. We'll be right back. You must have thrown a thousand pitches teaching him to hit a home run. Spent countless Saturdays running routes so he could learn to hit an open receiver. Endless afternoons teaching him how to hit the three-pointer. But how much time have you spent teaching him what not to hit? Teaching boys that all violence against women is wrong is one of the most important things a man can do. Learn how to start the conversation at teachearly.org. Brought to you by Futures Without Violence and the Ad Council. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855 529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. I'm a mother. I'm a father. I'm a sister, a registered nurse. I serve my country in the United States military. I'm your neighbor. I sit next to you at church. And my child was arrested, held in custody, questioned without my knowledge, exposed to violence, witnessed to rape, placed in solitary confinement, unable to call or see me, shackled to a wall, beaten, sentenced as an adult at age 17, sentenced as an adult at age 16, Sentenced as an adult at age 15. We felt lost. Isolated. Ostracized. Misjudged. Terrified. And in the absence of all hope, my child took his own life. And then I found the Alliance for Youth Justice. They gave me the support and resources to get through one of the most difficult times in my life. Now I know I'm not alone. And neither are you. Now we have a voice. Now we We have have power. power. In numbers. In numbers. In numbers. We can make a difference. There are approximately 2 million children in the juvenile and criminal justice system in this country. These are the faces of those families. If you are the family member of a child who has been in the justice system, or if you are someone who supports this movement and is ready to make a difference, visit the Campaign for Youth Justice at www.campaignforyouthjustice.org. Say goodbye to affordability and say hello to losing control. Discover Price Gougesol, the latest outrageously expensive drug from Big Pharma. It's impossible to afford and reverses the ability to pay other bills. Because drug companies raise prices to pay for commercials like this one, side effects may include overdrawn bank accounts, bad credit scores, higher health care costs, children who don't get Christmas presents, and in some cases, the need to stop taking your medicine. If you experience any of these side effects, contact your financial advisor right away. 
out-of-control drug costs are no joke. Yet nine of the ten biggest pharma companies spend more on advertising than research and development. Let's solve the cost crisis now. Visit csrxp.org. Over a million people are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison, like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation, costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fair justice. It's time for smart justice. And we need your help. You're broken down and tired Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio. Tonight, the youngsters speak from behind the wall as the voices from behind the wall continues. But tonight, we're talking about the children, those youngsters that have been abused, some of them killed, some of them beaten to death as part of a fight club by correctional officers in detention centers across this nation. The abuse continues. Tonight, we rise up again as this has been the vocal point, if you will, of AJC Radio, Voices from Behind the Wall. When you have a system and a criminal justice system that um, has failed, it runs down into the, it runs down into the, uh, into the lives of our youngsters. Uh, this is unacceptable. We've talked about Khalif Browder, uh, and I believe uh, we're going to try to get uh, his brother back. Apparently, I, think, I believe there's been a disconnect there. We're going to try to get him back. Uh, as we get into this conversation. Uh, I'll tell you what right now, folks, this is something that is horrific. We welcome your phone calls tonight to speak to these issues at 646-200-0628, 646-200-0628. And uh, we're going to continue. And Cliff, if you can let me know when we have him back, uh, we're going to bring him back on. I want you to hear this story. Talks about this was a story written by, by as we talked earlier, Carol Marvin Miller and Audra Birch talking about uh, whether because of bad policies, bad decision-making, bad health care, or abusive staff, Florida's juvenile justice system has experienced sporadic death. Here's a timeline. February 5th, 2000, Michael Wilsey, 12 years old. What Michael needed most was mental health treatment. What he got was the full weight of a 300-pound man on top of him, making it impossible to breathe. In a lawsuit, Michael's mother, Linda Abrara, said that staff at Camp L. Kel Itu in Marion County uh, insisted Michael be removed cold turkey from his psychiatric medication and that he was given no therapeutic services to cope with his bipolar disorder and behavioral problems. Investigations concluded Michael, a willow body at about 66 pounds, died of asphyxia, I believe I'm pronouncing that right? Is that correct? Asphyxia. Asphyxia. After being held in a full body restraint by a counselor, 
We're going to deal with that here momentarily. Michael kept yelling that he could not breathe. A death review said the council said he remained on top of the boy anyway because he believed the child was playing possum. A better learn of the incident from hospital staff as the program did not make any attempts to notify her that Michael had been gravely hurt. The Department of Children and Families Death Review said, prosecutors said, they could not find evidence that the counselor acted with utter disregard for Michael's safety and so declined to file charges. Abera never recovered from the boy's death. Six years later, she took her own life and that of her other son, seven-year-old Lorenzo. Can somebody help me understand this? Now, what you have there, uh, Lamont, is an absolute travesty that's been per- perpetrated by this supposedly you know, criminal justice system. And it hits on all the points that we've been talking about over the last several weeks. You're talking about the mistreatment of one person who's been diagnosed with a mental disorder. So there's one. It's a youth. There's another. Then you have a man that outward is almost five times his size. Talking about a kid playing possum. And then they don't have the evidence to do anything against this guy. I mean, it's it's an absolute miscarriage of justice here. And not only that, now you've not only taken one life, you've taken two more because you have a grieved mother who kills herself and this, this man's younger brother. Who answers? If I jump on a kid that is 66 pounds and he dies, I'm going to jail. That's right. That was a part in the news, uh, and this this is just to prove my point here. A young man, somebody came out and banged on this man's car uh, in, in traffic. The guy got out and pushed him or punched him. He fell and hit his head and died. Guess who's going into custody? Oh, absolutely. doesn't matter if it was an accident. He didn't mean to kill him. But this man sat on a – did I read that right? 300 pounds on a 66-pound body. That's unacceptable. Uh, I believe we have uh, Akeem back. Uh, Akeem, are you with us? Yes, I'm with you. Okay, we lost you. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Dude, I'm I'm just outraged uh, even listening to, like, sat on a 66-pound. You know, there's there's something to say that, like, the abuse to kids and knowing that you're a man. I mean, if we were to do any of this on the street or in our public – in public or in our houses to a kid, we're going to jail, and we're not just going to jail. They're they're destroying our names, our reputation, and everything. This grown man sat on a 66 pound kid. Incredible. There's nothing. There's nothing in the world that should stop him from going to jail, or even even worse. But our justice system, just like what happened with my brother, yes. it, it, it speaks towards the fact that they don't really care. You know, America premises themselves on you know the kids first. You ever hear this? Like, uh, it's, it, it's for the kids. The kids are our future. The kids are our future generation. Well, why don't we ever include them in the future? And not no, just absolutely. them, but certain them. I mean, no, we, when, when are we including them in the law? They don't know how absolutely. to read the law. But when they break the law, they know how to serve time. That's right. And when they don't break the law, they know how to harass and arrest and arrest these kids. Uh, this is a exactly. 12, a 12-year-old boy. He's 12 years old. And what, what makes me so irritated, where's the outcry? Where's the outrage? Where are the voices for Michael? And, and you know, that's like uh, in the clip where you have um, the former 
director of Michael, Bernie Carey. We've had Bernie on the show. But he made a good point. From that point of view, that these uh, correctional officers, these guards, any official that is working at the city, that they need to be brought up on charges when they, when they break the law, when they do things like this. It cannot just be, uh, well, we couldn't find anything to charge them with. You, that is assault. That, I mean, at 300 pounds, nobody's playing possum with you laying on them. At the, you know, and especially not a 60-something-year-old kid. I weigh 230. If you lay on me at 300 pounds and I say I can't breathe, you should believe me. Nobody's saying playing possum exactly. with pounds on top of them. That is not possible. So that that corrections officer should be brought up on charges, should have to go to trial, should have to spend money for an attorney, and let the, yes. let the justice system and let the people judge him. Let the law judge yes. him and say whether he did something wrong or not, because it you know, is unfathomable to say you thought this kid was playing possum. You are a liar. Go ahead, Akeem. I, I On that, that's why I said it's not good enough to talk. That's the essential – that essentially was the whole premise of the pledge uh, that I've done. So I, the Kelly Browder Foundation is a 501c3 as well, uh, not-for-profit, um, and we advocate for not just laws but what's right for our community and what we need. But we do uh, – we, we focus on the mental health, um, and, and we're, we're set up as a mental health and crisis intervention center. But we also advocate for laws. So that was essential, uh, essentially the, the whole premise of the pledge um, that I've done. So on my website, there's a uh, hashtag, I stand, for, uh, I stand with Khalif. <clears throat> and so you can find it on uh, uh, www.khalifbrowderfoundation.com. Um, and empty promise or not, my family represented by myself as, uh, as, uh, at the State of State Address. Um, the, the governor had, uh, had brought me up to Albany at the State of State Address this year. Uh, and and um, I had a hopeful heart because he had this really prolific speech about how, because um, the law that I, uh, that I had uh, written for in Kali's name, um, we needed it passed. It's a speedy trial in Kali's name. It would solidify um, Kali in history so that they can never forget what they've done. Uh, to a child and a child in my family, as well as a black uh, a black child that represents other black children, and yet um, I had this hopeful heart for what Cuomo uh, had said, and I waited uh, as I waited. Like I yeah, went to four different events. He kept on saying basically that he's going to get it done, uh, criminal justice reform. He even said the words, "I promise that he would get it done," and yet April first came, which is his deadline, and he didn't do it. I could no longer wait. So I developed a uh, I Stand with Khalif pledge where I went to the, the senators and basically just gave them a, a chance to recommit their, um, their words and put, uh, or put action behind their words and recommit to the community their need for criminal justice reform. And whoever did not sign that pledge, that's their, that, that's their right. However, we will let the public know, you, Mr. or Mrs. Senator, whoever you are, uh, will be it will be known in your community that you did not step up. We are tired of seeing senators, politicians, period, whether you're assemblyman, council member, uh, governor, mayor, it doesn't matter. If you're an elected official and you're supposed to represent the people, 
we want to stop going off your word that, you know, you're, you go to a family that's crying and woeful and you say some good words and then go behind their back and don't sign a prolific or progressive bill. So we want to let the public know, nope, this governor, this mayor, this elected official, period, did not sign this bill. Do not vote him or her back in. So to end wealth-based detention, that's the goal. And the renewed commitment after three long years seeking my uh, justice for my brother and all those that, um, that, were, um, that are targeted due to their poor financial status would show the public the willingness of those that we vote in office to get legislation um, passed instead of opportunistic photos and prolific speeches that in reality isn't worth ra- uh, a ra- rallying behind. So um, that along with uh, knowing that our communities can't do it off the legislators' um, word alone or their actions alone. We have to start being a community again. And so I, 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 don't want, I don't want to put things only in the hands of the senators or the elected officials or the governor. Um, I don't want to put it all on their hands. No, the people have a, a, a responsibility to the colleagues of their community, of their neighborhoods, of their, back, of, their, of their neighborhoods, of their households. They have a responsibility to not fail them. And so that means bring back basketball tournaments, bring back uh, programs in our community like chess tournaments, t- tennis, sports, bring back um, think, uh, spelling bees, all things that I, I grew up having in my, uh, knowing was phasing out in, uh, in my era. Bring back those. And if you say how, then you're not thinking with a, uh, with a thoughtful mind because realistically the money that we spend in, in program or in, in stores that we don't, that don't give back to our communities like Nike, they don't give, they're, they're supposed to. They have a foundation that says they do. They don't give it back to our communities. Nike, we actually tracked and found out they're supposed to give $8 million back to, uh, to uh, poor communities. $8 million back every year. With their M- uh, it's actually under MBA CARES. And yet they don't. They give it to communities in the 10064 communities, uh, or that's a zip code, but basically in very um, rich neighborhoods. So they don't give it back to our communities, and they know that our communities are the ones that are influenced more by name brand because we don't have, and so they, we buy more. But instead of putting money into their communities, donate to a, com- a, a, a company that's a not-for-profit, like the Khalif Brother Foundation, that's doing the work in the community, yeah. getting these kids the programs that they need so that we can be a community again. No, absolutely right, Kim, and I salute you for your efforts there. I echo that a hundred times over again. Uh, and we're going to do our best to, to get on board uh, and partnering, as a guest called Ogilvy Radio, with the Police Router Foundation. I'd like to learn more about it. I'd like us to sit down and have a conversation about it offline. Uh, we're going to get involved because if we have a platform, the listeners all over this country, uh, we, will, we will push that issue because I agree with everything. Uh, that you just said. It's, it's more than a photo op. It's more than how do I sound right now? What are we doing to quit to stop body bags being filled in this nation? Needlessly. Mm-hmm. I, want to, I want to share this with you. This is a, we were talking about what was going on in Florida with the young man, the young boy, 17-year-old yeah. Elf, that was killed. And the Herald journalist examined 10 years of Department of Juvenile Justice incident reports, inspected general investigations, administrative reviews, restraint records, police files, court cases, state inspections, child welfare and prison records, emails, files of interviews with administrators, public defenders, prosecutors, judges, children's advocates. The process of this is what those 
investigation found out that for years, long before Elrod's death, youths have complained of staff turning them into hired mercenaries, offering honey buns and other rewards to rough up fellow detainees. What? It is a way for employees to exert control without risking their livelihoods by personally resorting to violence. And criminal charges are rare. That is, that's insane. Again, it's that power mentality. Is that you could take, I'm telling you, you could take anyone and you give them a position of authority and power. They could have been the nicest person you've ever met. But for some reason, because there are no controls or restraints or no consequences, that no accountability or accountability, right. that individual will eventually take take control of that power and use it in the wrong way. And again, not all, not, not all. all of them. Because I agree. You, you got some good folks out there in our in our with our juveniles that are doing things to make stuff happen. Uh, but we tonight we're dealing with the abusers. Uh, Samson, hey, can, can I say? Yes, go ahead. Can Akeem. I add something to that? I'm sorry, sure. but me- oh, um, uh, what's this? Um, when we say that, you know, not all of them, uh, understandably, not 100 uh, percent are are abusing. However, I gotta say, Muhammad Ali said it best. You you have 5,000 snakes coming at you that are venomous, and 1,000 of those snakes are not. By them being mixed all together, you don't know which ones are venomous. And so any one of those can be the one that kills you with that one bite. So you have to protect against every one of them, even though their job in corrections is courtesy. Well, their, their, their motto is courtesy professionally. So um, care, custody, and control. I'm sorry. Care, custody, and control. The names fool you. Will definitely fool you because it's not correction, because it's not corrective, and it's not rehabilitative. So there's no correction without care, custody, and control. And there's no control, no care, and the custody is just the only thing that they have. Right. Right. No, that, I, I, a good point made there. Listen to this real quick. October 14, 2000, Anthony Doom is 15 years old. Anthony hanged himself with a leather belt from his bunk bed at a Broward County juvenile justice shelter. A caregiver might have saved his life by cutting him down. Instead, she snapped pictures to document events as he suffocated to death. Police reports said three staff members were on duty that night at the Littman Youth Shelter, which had operated unlicensed for four years and all failed to cut him down. Anthony, still alive, was not released from his noose until police arrived, and officers were shocked to see him still tethered to his belt. Anthony died after four months in a coma. Three youth counselors were ordered fired by the Department of Juvenile Justice, and the counselor with the Polaroid camera was convicted of child neglect. She was under house arrest for a year. Well, that's a slap on the wrist. On the wrist. You give her a year to live at home while you saw a 15-year-old boy die, and you snap pictures? Are you kidding me? I don't know. Lamont, I just... This is what people call activism now. Right, exactly, and I, and I definitely uh, agree with you, uh, Akeem. Like there, there has to be some action taken because I mean, if if we don't do anything, if we just sit idly by, you know, and, and like, and Dennis drives a point. I think just about every show, like we have to take action. We have to elect people. We have to, you know, get out there and actually do our civic duty and get involved, you know, because if we don't, if 
you know, if we don't get people in there that are going to represent the entire community, we have people that are, that are not going to, you know, pass laws to stop to do more than one year of house arrest. We're sitting there and watching a, a young man hang himself nearly to death and then die four months in a coma. I mean, that is nothing. That is absolutely nothing being done to this person. And yeah, the other three were fired. Okay, so what? A young man died in this scenario. And more have to die in order for somebody to actually take some action, put something in the law, and make sure that it's effective. Can I can I add to this thought that, um, you know, here's here's another thing. This is why I said let's take it out of the hands. Like we could do as much as we can to elect officials that we think is going to do good when we hope is going to do good. However, what sounds better? I mean, one, we, even me, at least I didn't stick with just only writing law or advocating for law because there's, aren't there already mountains of laws for them to not be able to do this? It's not, yep. it's not the law. It's the impl- impl- uh, implementation of the law. And so if, if the law isn't being implemented, if, if there isn't any accountability or justice, then we can just write more laws and the book, will get, the book will get bigger. No, we need communities to step up and do, do some type of civic engagement in their own communities. And it says here, came and William, I'm going to get to your comment here in a moment. It says here, at the counselor's sentencing, Anthony's father said it would be hard for him to forgive the workers who failed to give aid to his dying son. The only time we get to see Anthony now is at the gravesite, said Walter Dumas, a prosecutor, suggested the council perform community service at the cemetery, an idea that a Broward judge rejected. He wasn't supposed to die. He was supposed to come home shortly. Anthony's mother to the Herald three days after her son succumbed to his coma. Uh, Tragic. 15 years old. We're just killing kids. As a nation, you can call it what you want. We are, in in the statement I just read, you have guards becoming causing these youngsters to become mercenaries mm-hmm. for cakes, a cupcake, a honey bun, a pastry. I think human life is a little more important than that. William, you know, I was listening, and I was—I I guess I was really thinking about accountability. Dennis always says it, and you know, Akeem has said it. You know, there, there are plenty of laws. The bottom line is we need to hold them to it, and just because they have a uniform on or a badge does not exempt them from laws, and that's what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with the fact that these people – if you could sit there and snap pictures of a person suffering as their last breath and not be held accountable for that, you get – I mean, and two others were fired. There's something wrong here because there is a death. There was a means to the death, and they could have prevented it. So where does the law come in? Where are those that are going to hold these people accountable? Well, the bottom line is it is unequal justice in this nation. We have learned for whatever reason. See, nobody's talking about abuse behind the wall. Mm-hmm. AJC Radio is. Voices from behind the wall. This is the purpose. Because you got folks sitting at home, moms and dads sitting on the table. You know what? They need to go to that juvenile detention center and learn a lesson. Your loved one may die there. That's the reality in which we live. And that's, that's always the thing. It, when it, it does, they don't take action until it hits their doorstep. They just think everything is fine. Everything, we'll just go about the status quo. When it hits your doorstep, now all of a sudden people get enraged. 
Now all of a sudden people are you know up in arms. And and but what you have to understand, it could be any moment that your child is involved. If your child's on the, it's on their way home from school and gets caught up in a situation, they could be a bystander. And now all of a sudden they're caught up in a situation. They've done nothing wrong. They were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And that's why, you know, even with com- community, involvement, you know, I truly believe in community involvement, but you got to have both. You got to have the community to get involved. And then you got to make sure that what you did, uh, Khalif, and when you went in and you start working on, uh, you know, different laws and stuff like that, we got to bring all that together. That's the only way we're going to get things going and get it fixed. And, and, and Akeem, you, you wanted to comment on that. Go ahead, Akeem. Yeah, I just wanted to say real quick, like, also, you know, the, 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 the solution becomes the, the necessity. Uh, right now we have, like, we can complain forever. until I mean, we have so many scenarios, and I could imagine the, the families that don't get to hear have their stories told. I mean, just like that, um, that family said, the only time that they get to see their son is at the, uh, at the funeral, um, at the grave site. Well, me and my, fam- my family, the only time we get to hear Khalif or my mother's voice is on the docu-series that we've done. And that is a really messed up way to hear your family. However, we can cry as long as as much as we can, and it'll never bring them back. The only thing that I, I said is solutionizing is becoming is the is the necessity. When we come up with many different solutions and fund those solutions or um, promote those solutions or advocate with those solutions, and those solutions can look like like I said, pro, uh, well one. It's not just after, aftercare. Everyone wants to talk about reentry to society. Like when they come home from jail, now we're going to care for them. Now we're going to get them jobs. No, you know what? That actually never plays out. There's a company in New York um, called uh, uh, Fortune Society. They do aftercare. There's Exodus Transitional com- uh, Community. They do aftercare. You want to know what those percentage of getting those people jobs or getting those people um, uh, long-term uh, uh, success? 19% for Fortune Society, 8% for Exodus Transitional co- uh, Community. In a year's time, they, their, their commitment is 1,200 um, people that come home from jail, they get. Every year, their numbers is 1,200, 1,500, and they grow. But their success rate is 8%. That's disgusting. And yet the communities will keep one for the senators, will keep one promoting them and funding them and giving them grants because – they really know it doesn't work, and it funds the, um, the recidivism rate, which is very low. Recidivism actually for new crimes is very low. It's actually at a 1.9% recidivism when it comes to new crimes. And violent, new crimes where it's in a violent nature is actually way lower. People don't really want to keep on going back to jail. However, when it comes to um, solutionizing, we don't want to do – Re, uh, re-entry to society because the, the families are already damaged. The people, like I said, it's not just the immediate person that's arrested. It's the one, uh, it's the whole community that suffers. So oh, do some, some before care before sure. they get and they end up. I mean, not every person is innocent. I mean, not every person is not, uh, not blamable. I mean, sometimes we, ha- we do have crime. However, how do you, how do you account for a human activity? There's going to yeah. be accidents. There's going to be humans that act, actually make error. So well, I think, put yeah. things in there. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, no, you're good. I, I, I agree with you on the preventative. It's, this is preventative measures. As you, I, I think that's what you're alluding to exactly. here. Exactly. Stop it before. What, like you said, bring the sports back preventative to the neighborhood. Preventative detention. 
No, absolutely. Because I believe this without a doubt, if you can keep kids busy and occupied with productive behavior, whether it's sports, whether it's music, whatever exactly. it is, that's a, that's a plus for our kids. I think we got a caller, Akeem. I want to see what they have to say here. Cliff? Yes, no we have. Uh, June wants to make a comment. Go ahead, June, you're live. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. As I listen to this, I'm thinking the justice system in the U.S. is a cesspool. There is so much wrong, so much abuse, and it's been going on for years, and you just wonder why nothing is being done or things that are being done is being done so slowly, and so many people are suffering and dying. It's, it's amazing. And, Akeem, I'm sorry about your brother, uh, and I'm glad that you're out there fighting, but we need so many more people to step up to the plate and you to get involved in what's going on because it will continue unless more people stand up and say it's wrong. Thank you. And thank you for your call. She's absolutely right. Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. You know, Khalid, Khalid, the one one thing I I, I want to make make it absolutely clear, Khalid, as opposed to everyone that they're trying to bring out, like there's there's always a story, right? However, when you think of Kali's case of a backpack, first of all, the justice or the, the, the harm that was done doesn't even equate to alleged of stealing a backpack. However, the, the, the justice system loves to try and find dirt on someone so that they can dirty Kali or anyone, any one of these kids' names. So they'll t- say, oh, he has an extensive background or he has a, 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 a criminal background of so long or he's a drug dealer or whatever. However, Kali yeah. didn't have any of that in his past and as well – when he went in jail, he didn't want to join, his, uh, join um, any of the gangs. So he, he just did not want to succumb to any of that, that lifestyle. So it made him blameless. And that's why they can't. They want to hurry up and change the conversation. And I hope the, lady, the, the, the woman that just spoke, I hope that many more people like her will then join, uh, join up and say, yeah, you know what? We need to actually stick together and start bringing up this. Because when you have a blameless um, person, then they can't dirty and they can't dirty up their name. What they do is they try and get you to forget. No, absolutely right. And and we've heard a lot of that in in the injustices uh, that have happened in this nation. Uh, Akeem, we're going to come back. I'm going to give you a closing thoughts. I don't want to hold you. I will definitely want to be respectful to your time. You have given a true perspective uh, tonight to our listeners uh, about the uh, the life of Khalif Browder, your brother, the Khalif Browder Foundation. Uh, we're going to definitely do what we can to push that out there because I think what you have to say is critically important, but it has, it has teeth and it has legs on it. Now we get folks to get a hold of that and a hold of that vision uh, together. Hopefully we can institute change. We're going to come right back with your closing thoughts. Uh, I don't, again, being respectful of your time being there in New York. Uh, This is AJC radio folks, juvenile abuse and the juvenile voices from behind the wall. The stories tonight, heart wrenching. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. I wanted to be in the military since I was was a kid. I served in the United States Air Force. I served a total of 16 years. I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die. Coming back, I was raging. I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless. 
I guess I never recognized it in myself. Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said I'd like to see somebody. Don't suffer alone. You got to find that link with somebody that'll make you let it go. It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back, so you owe it to them to live well, because they're not here with their families. There's a lot of mud when it rains here, and it makes it really hard to find food. There are car bombs every day. My mom worries about me when I go out. Every time I hear the alarm bell go off from school, I think it's an air raid. Sometimes I have nightmares about it. A lot of houses in our neighborhood have been destroyed. I like to close my ears and sing songs whenever the bombs come close. My dad says we have to leave, which makes me scared. I'm worried our new neighbors won't like us. What if they don't understand our religion? Because we don't speak the language, it might be hard for me to make friends. But I know it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be worth it. I just want my family to be safe. But these are not my words. These are not my words. These are not my words. Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? Did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the United States? I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that that is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world? The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population, but we have over 25% of the world's prison population. America prides itself on being the most advanced and progressive nation on earth. However, sadly, we are also the world's most archaic. I'm going to give you a personal invitation to get involved with the fight against mass incarceration. Take a few moments to call one 855-529-4252. That is a just cause. And we fight for justice. Again, call a just cause today. Don't delay. Call one 529 4252 It is time, and I say high time, that we take America's incarceration seriously. Won't you join us? Call today. Picture this, a 75-year-old man convicted of murder waiting for his trial to finally go through. He's been on death row for 25 years now and finds out he's been wrongfully convicted and is completely innocent. Not only does this mean that 25 years of his life have been spent in jail for no reason, but that the actual murderer could still be out there right now. The bad thing is that this exact thing happens more often than you think. But you can help stop it by supporting our campaign to abolish the death penalty. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio. And tonight, dealing the voices from behind the wall, the children speak. Uh, tonight, we focused on some of the most horrific stories of real-life tragedies, 
of our youngsters that are in, that are in juvenile detention centers all across this country and are suffering as a result of a system that has failed. October 30th, 2001, Sean Smith, 13 years of age, Sean was supposed to be under close watch as a suicide risk, but he was able to take his life anyway. He was found in his cell at the Volusa Regional Detention Center with a sheet tied to his neck and to the door of his cell. Under DJJ protocols, lockup officers were required to observe him every five minutes. When the agency's inspector general's office looked into Sean's death, investigators learned that the surveillance tapes were gone making it difficult to determine whether the boy had been properly supervised. The investigation concluded that nine lockup officers failed to abide by suicide prevention policies. Three were suspended and a fourth was fired. Not good enough. Every five minutes, that youngster was supposed to be checked on. I'm going to tell you, it takes a minute to do what he did. He hung himself. And all of a sudden, the surveillance tape disappears? This is, this is sick. And all that happens as body bag after body bag after body bag of our young people continue to die in detention centers, juvenile detention. This kid was 13 years old. No accountability. Nothing. Akeem, are you with us? Akeem, are you with us? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah, Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, you know, the fact that there's no accountability, it actually brings down the, the, the people, the communities to think that this will always be the way it is. And that said, I mean, the people need a victory, and that victory is going to come when, when, when justice is served. And when, once we have a law that sets precedent, once we have an officer that, that goes down and not doesn't and doesn't just go down um, or, or go to jail or get his job, his or her job um, taken away from them, but when we mean justice, I think justice one it, it, it's different for every family. Some families might just want that check, something that to sue, and they think that getting as much money from the government that it'll hurt them enough where it stops them from doing this and they learn their lesson. But justice has to be served so that there can be some kind of win for the community so that the officers know, Oh shoot, this is happening to us. Now we're, we're being convicted. And now they don't, now they have to think twice about losing that good job. Yeah, this is, it's unbelievable. Hakeem. let me first say to you, and again, I'm going to be respectful of your time. I know uh, you guys are two hours ahead of us, but let me, let me say first, I salute you for your courage, for your voice, for Khalif, for the foundation, Khalif Browder Foundation. Where can folks get involved? Where can they help? Uh, how can they get a hold of you to be a part or to contribute or to help support this effort in keeping the memory of Khalif Browder alive and demand change uh, in our criminal justice system? How can they get a hold of you? So if they know uh, how to spell Khalif's name, K-A-L-I-E-F, KhalifBrowderFoundation.com, is all they need. They can um, look up the foundation and see the different works that we're doing. <clears throat> but I mean, on, on a different note, in their own communities, because maybe uh, you want to um, do something to help in your own communities, listening to forums like this or listening to radio stations like this. But to all community members, uh, please like remind your elected officials that with our voices and our time, 
we will hold accountable uh, or hold accountable each of those that are uh, that represent us. So go to your um, go to your elected officials and vote. Also get and get the vote and get your kids to vote. In our communities, we don't do enough voting, and so we complain and then not heard. We need to actually get out there like that. And so we run <clears throat> we run programs in our uh, in New York with the Kali Brother Foundation as a civic engagement program, and we teach in the schools the importance of getting uh, get, becoming civic, uh, civically engaged. That's something that I think um, we can do to encourage our youth and get them involved and have, have it really be America where it says um, that the children should come first or it's about the kids and they're our future. That's the way no. to actually hold, uh, hold that, that statement true. No, absolutely right. And Akiva, as I said earlier, I'm going to be in touch with you offline. Uh, we're going to work, talk, and, and get, come up with what we can do further as an organization, Agency Radio Just Calls, to be involved with this uh, uh, foundation, how we can push it out here. We'll definitely have, you'll always have a voice here on Agency Radio and a platform. Uh, as we remember Khalif and, and, and our condolences to you and your entire family for what you guys have been through. Uh, a, a programming note, uh, Donna uh, Marie Riley was going to join us. There's been a personal situation uh, that she's had to deal with tonight, uh, Akeem. That's why she was unable to be here. Uh, and uh, we got – so please, when you see her or talk to her, uh, give her our best. Tell her our thoughts and prayers are with her and her family. So uh, hopefully things uh, uh, get better there. But, Akeem, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's been an indeed pleasure. Thank you. I'm sure our, our staff here, our team, uh, but also – our listeners across the United States. We appreciate you so very much and uh, definitely look for a phone Thank you, call. AJC Radio. Okay. Take care of yourself, Hakeem, and our prayers are with you with your efforts. You too, everyone. All right. Take care. And there you have it, folks. Hakeem Browder, uh, the founder and executive director of the Khalif Browder Foundation, brother of Khalif Browder, uh, the young man we've talked about tonight, Samson, uh, uh, a young man that just needlessly uh, died as a result of a system that ignored him in a in a adult prison. And again, what stands out with me more with the Khalif Browder story, he was never charged and did a three year stint in county jail, the one of the worst notorious violent institutions would come into jails at Rikers Island that you can be at. Three years, not only beaten by inmates, beaten by guards, and allowed, and where the guards enabled it to be. And it's sad that, I mean, we can actually just look over all the the stories and news articles and everything else that we, we see um, on the different sources of media, and it's almost become commonplace that the there's some type of thing going on, whether it be with, you know, um, our young people being abused, neglected. Um, beaten, like you said. I mean, they're they're using sweets to get kids to just literally beat the life out of one another, and it, it's just it's become so frequent. It's like, and uh, reading over that story about uh, Sean Smith, it's like, had it, had it happened where footage had gone missing, evidentiary footage had gone missing with any other type of organization, they would have been on trial in an absolute instant. But now here we have, you know, like on our other one where. Uh, a youth shelter operator unlicensed for four years. Now you have, you know, another one that has footage going missing. Like, where is their trial? Where is the trial for these organizations? Where are they going to be held accountable? And be like, okay, you need to go before a judge and you need to explain yourself. You need to explain why conveniently there is no footage 
of your personnel, your employees, checking on this guy every five minutes, like he, like is per your policies. Where's where's it at? It, it, it again, it's unequal justice in this nation. It's unequal justice, and it is hid. It's covered. It's not talked about. It's not blatantly put in the media, and the voices have gone silent. We will not go silent. I, again, the efforts of Akeem Browder, uh, salute him, uh, uh, doing some great things to t- keep the memory of his brother, the voice of his brother, the injustice of his brother, the killing of his brother, those that were culpable in the act when he took his life. Someone uh, uh, absolutely must answer for that. Uh, May 31st, 2003, Daniel Danny Matthews, 17 years old, folks. Danny and another youth had traded insults all day from sales at the Penniless County Regional Juvenile Detention Center when a guard mistakenly opened the two detainees' doors and the two squared off in a hallway. Danny struck first, according to the boy who hit him. After the two exchanged punches, Danny collapsed on the floor. He died of blunt head trauma, either from a blow to his temple or the fall that resulted. A senior detention officer was fired and assistant superintendent was suspended. Danny's mother later said she had agreed to have her son arrested when he pushed her at home. He was abusing drugs and had become volatile. I finally had my son arrested so he could get help, and now he's dead. I don't care what the kid did. There's no reason for this. Diana Matthew writes to the St. Petersburg Times on June 2nd, 2003. How do two separate doors accidentally open and happen to be two guys who were insulting and arguing, which the officers observed without a doubt in the course of a day? How did their sales just open up, or was that a honey bun for, for kill, for hire? Is that, was that what that was? I mean, I don't know how, how ignorant they, that they, these officers really think that um, people are these days. Like, you don't accidentally open two cells that are within, you know, striking distance of one another because they said they just stepped out in the hallway and went at it. I mean, the American public, we're not stupid. You know, some of us may act it sometimes, but the fact of the matter is we're not dumb. There, this was no accident. This was, like you said, this was a, hun- uh, a honey bun hit, but without the honey bun. That, 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 this, wow. Folks, we're going to play a clip right now. We're going to discuss it. Uh, officer charged in juvenile detention center beating death. Officer charged in the killing of another youngster. Let's see what they have to say. <laughs> A Miami-Dade juvenile detention officer is facing serious federal charges tonight, nearly three years since the teenager died while in custody. CBS 4's Hank Tester live at the federal courthouse in downtown Miami with details. Hank. Well, late this afternoon, that corrections officer was fired. And Rick, that's absolutely the least of his problems tonight. Let's take a look. Within seconds, one of the juveniles punched ER in his face as ER was attempting to sit in a chair. Several other juveniles kicked him, joining the attack, violently punching him. The victim, referred to as ER, Eloyd Revolt, died as a result of, according to the feds, an orchestrated beating that took place in August of 2015 at the Miami-Dade Juvenile Detention Center. Now, an indictment of juvenile corrections officer Antoine Leonard Johnson. 
As you heard this morning, Antoine Leonard Johnson was arrested by the FBI without incident. It is a dirty, not-so-little secret detailed by a CBS4 Jim DeFeedy report. Corrections officers bribing juvenile inmates with candy, special privileges, even fast food burgers. This to beat juveniles who disrespected the corrections officers. Jailhouse justice directed by, in this case, Officer Antoine Johnson. Here's how it works. So usually uh, they'll bribe us with honey buns and stuff like that, you know, with like Skittles or something, and be like, okay, look, bro, this kid disrespecting me, I don't like him. The indictment reads in part, the bribery beatdowns were commonly utilized by other juvenile detention officers. Officer Johnson now faces up to life in prison for ordering the attack that killed ER. The beatings resulted for Officer Johnson two federal charges of violation of rights, in this case leading to the death of A-Lord Revolt. From the state of Florida, the behavior detailed in this indictment is appalling and inexcusable. In response to today's findings, the department taking immediate action to terminate this employee. Well, Johnson was in federal court uh, this afternoon where prosecutors asked for $250,000 bail. That's the very latest. I'm Hank Tester, CBS 4 News Tonight. It's back to you. Oh, there you have it. And we talked about uh, ER, they call them, is that correct? Um, Skittles? I don't even know the price of Skittles. What's the price of a bag of Skittles? Are they a buck? If you be lucky. (laughs) Skittles. Some hard candy. A honey bun. To take the life of another. Tragic. I applaud the immediate action to where he's facing life. Will he get life? Is the question. Will he be convicted and justice be served? We'll wait and see. June 9th, 2003, Omar Paisley, 17 years old. It took authorities at the Miami Regional Juvenile Detention Center three days to treat Omar's worsening appendix. appendix appen, how do I pronounce that? Appendicitis. Appendicitis. Thank you, Samson. It was one day too many. Omar had complained to nurses and guards that he was sick and in excruciating abdominal pain. He wept and retched and moaned, curled in a fetal position. Man, someone needs to get down here because this kid is sick. An officer implored over the telephone. But two nurses and a platoon of officers waited days before summoning help. As their supervisor said, they lacked the authority to call for an ambulance. Some of the officers and nurses thought Omar was faking. Omar's death came, death came to symbolize what lawmakers at a series of hearings called a culture of neglect With, within DJJ. 25 DJJ employees, including Secretary William Bill Bankhead and the lockup superintendent, either resigned or were fired, and the two nurses were charged with third-degree murder. One pleaded guilty to culpable negligence and was sentenced to a year probation. Prosecutors dropped charges against the second nurse. Nearly 15 years later, grand jury foreman Constance Portella, a Miami businesswoman, still recoils. Animals 
are treated better, she told the Herald. This is not something that will go away. This is a scar. The wound may heal, but the scar is there to remind you. Cherry Williams, Omar's mother, to the Herald in November of 2004. So you have this young man. His appendix is exploding. An officer is begging the, the nurse, the staff, the medical staff there to help this young man. They, I'm trying to figure out if a nine-year-old can call 911 in a domestic situation, which we've heard. Can you explain to me how an officer does not have the authority to call an ambulance? Somebody help me with that one. It's about a dollar. It's about because if you call an ambulance, of course, there's going to be uh, there's going to be a cost to it. So it's sad to say that, you know, you know, that they're so cheap, you know, and plus they don't feel that these kids are worth anything anyway. So uh, why call an ambulance? And then if you do call them, you better have a good reason, which that was a good reason. I, I, I don't 17 years old. Another one dead. A mother's heartbreak. And you're going to tell me you want to give somebody a year probation. A year probation with a third-degree murder. And drop the charges on the other one. That, that's absolutely ridiculous. But we call this country that we have the best system in the world, and we're killing kids. I mean, I mean how much common sense does it take? How much authority do you really need, like you said, to dial 911? I mean, if I, if I was one of the prosecutors and I got involved with this case, I'd say, you know, you need to let me see the, your policies. How much authority, how much... Supervisory level that you have to have to call nine one one, and that's a complete joke. It, it, that's a joke. Yeah, but all this is a joke. I mean, we just we just talked about a facility that was up and running for four years, yeah. unlicensed. I mean, how does that happen? I mean, you're talking. Well, I'm sitting here listening to this, and we talked about how they use honey buns for rewards, Skittles, and things like this. We already know they have poor health care. We already have know that they have food that's not fit for human consumption. In the prisons. So basically what you're doing is you're basically putting these kids in here, or even in the case of, of you know, regular prison, they're men. And you put them in a situation, a volatile situation of survival, not only uh, with themselves, but now you got encouragement and basically poking and prodding by the, by the guards to fight. For for amusement and inter- and entertainment. So if you think what is it what does it mean to have a honey bun waved in front of your face as 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 encouragement to to almost kill a, a it, kid? It, it is to kill. kill to kill. So we have locked up members of our society for engaging in dog fights. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Let, let, let me it, let me explain this for dog fighting. But but this is the other part. This is the other part. These kids now the facilities are getting labor out of these kids. So that's where the slavery aspect of it. I mean, you know, in, in some aspects, this is what's going on here. We saw this in the 1800s, the, where you have captive people. They can't get out. They can't get away. They're abused. They are denied food. They're denied health care. They're treated just. I mean, less than human. But the problem here, the egregious point here, these are children. Mm-hmm. 
We're not talking about some guys that's on a weight pile every day that's 275, 300 pounds and a monster. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean monster literally, but just a big dude. Yeah. We're talking about 12, 13, 14, 16 year old kids. And nothing. And I'll say this was said before. There is no value for human life. That's out the window. Because body bag after body bag, child after child, coffin after coffin, grieving mothers. This other other case we talked about tonight. The mother took her life and the life of a seven-year-old because she could not deal with the fact that her son took his life. And it could have been stopped. This, my friend, is the egregious outrage that, that America needs to cry out against. This is what that is. Absolutely, because, I mean, the, these, these people that are back there, I mean, they, they really don't, you can tell, obviously, by their actions, that they don't know, and they don't take into account the, the, the ripple effect they have. Like, like uh, Akeem was talking about, it's not just him, it's not just his family, but it's an entire community, it's an entire... Uh, culture. I mean, it's 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 everything that's being affected. Because, how, what do we know that person could contribute if we just take the time to rehabilitate them? God only knows what could what could be achieved by that person. But, like she said, they're being treated worse than animals. Well, here's here's the problem. In most of these juvenile places, kids are there to kind of get in line. Right. Let's just get in line. Uh, make them think a little bit, not to abuse these kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have here in Colorado what they call they have a, a youth offender services I believe they call it YOS. Uh, due to my wrongful conviction, I had the opportunity to go there in process of being taken to another location, and I stayed there for two days. These are youngsters. It's a military type of thing. So you got a drill sergeant with the big hat. These these youngsters have to march in line. I mean they have to. You know, drop to the ground, drop push-up. That's different. That's not abusing kids. And those kids became uh, the ones I saw that were graduating during that short period I was there. I mean, they were, you thought they were in the, the, the service of the United States of America. That's what that type of thing and discipline, uh, without abusing kids, can have an impact. And there's a lot, we salute the programs out there that can kind of it's to wake kids up. They had a program here in Colorado called Scared Straight years ago, where kids would come through the county jail and and uh, and I actually went on a tour, not knowing I would be wrongfully convicted and actually be a resident of the county jail. Uh, but they went through, and those kids were frightened. They were scared to death. Uh, but one thing you got to know, you got to have the other side of that. How do we lift kids up? How do we encourage kids? Uh, because of a limitation on time tonight, on Tuesday next week, we will do part two of the juvenile voices from behind the wall. We have not covered nearly uh, what we will cover. I think it's important enough to recover, uh, to cover some more stuff. We have tons of issues, examples of kids and the system and their voices. They cannot be forgotten. We will address that. Thursday, folks, tune in uh, two days from now. The refusal of medical treatment in the prisons and county jails across this country. Horrific stories that will blow your mind. 
No, they, they act like I don't even know why you have doctors or nurses in these facilities, because you know what? Not all. Some are completely worthless as numbers of people. Yet the lady there that was going into labor. And I'm just giving you a preview of Thursday was going into labor. Uh, she had her baby on a concrete floor in a cell. Because they refused to call an ambulance to take her to a hospital to give birth. On a concrete floor. But, oh, wait a minute. We have the best system. This is, again, and the point I was making, William, to your point, uh, was if we lock people up for seven years for dog fighting, three years? That's right. For dogs fighting. But you will let an officer let children and bribe him with a honey bun to kill. Or you would you would agitate him, aggravate him, and then open up their doors, open up their cell doors to kill each other. To kill each other. I mean, and and then you're then you're talking about in Khalif Brower's case, six people beat him. They caught it on video. Six inmates beat him and left him. And the guards allowed it. And the guards beat him. He said it himself. He said the guards were beating me. And he was so afraid. The system never left him alone. Let's get him for disorderly conduct. In his mind, you know what he remembered? The abuse, the beatings, the hog tying, all of that. And he said, you know what? I'm not going back there. Even if it costs me my life. And he took his life and later his mother dies of a broken heart, a massive heart attack for a system that failed her and her son. And we want to say this is the best system in the world. I got news for you folks. Take the blinders off. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say it. We have one of the most, we have one of the worst criminal justice system in this nation. You can say in this world, you can say what you want. Statistics don't lie. Kids are dying in detention centers. People are dying in county jails. People are dying in prisons. Kids are killing. What are you talking about? This is not the best system. When people die, and many of them, we, we, we did a show on the death row situation. Innocent after you have killed them. Well, we found they didn't do it. They're dead now. But we have the best system. AJC Radio, a just cause organization, will not be silent. Voices from behind the wall, until you get it, until you become outraged, until you understand the abuse and needless deaths of children, men, women, and girls in this nation is dealt with, uh, voices behind the wall will continue indefinitely. Their voice will be heard. And we will not stop. Until next time, America, this is AJC Radio. Good night. Whereas with our white students, we find that the response is, let's, let's find out what supports you need. A black student who is allegedly acting out in class, that behavior is immediately criminalized. When it comes to black students, the reaction is often that those students should know better, that they're older than they, than they appear that we don't view black students as children. We view them as little adults.
lot of folks still believe that if you lock up a youth for a while, regardless of his illness, that he will learn that when he is released, he shouldn't act that way again. I always like to liken it to if you have a kid who has an epileptic seizure, are you really going to lock him up for a few days to teach him not to have another seizure? We routinely in this country put children in solitary confinement. Other countries consider the practice torture, but we do it with regularity. Once a prisoner gets into solitary confinement, usually because of impulsive, emotionally volatile kind of behavior, um, once they get in, they get worse, and then they never get out. 60% of the kids that are committing suicide in prisons are ones that have been put into solitary confinement. Quite frankly, if locking a child up taught them a lesson so they'd never commit a crime, we would be the safest country in the world because we lock up so many children. But clearly, experience shows that doesn't work. 